You're listening to Evolution Digital, how businesses across industries have adapted to ensure continued success in today's digital marketplace. I'm Tracy Sheckel. Welcome back. I'm Tracy Sheckel with Otelco, and we've been talking with people across all industries who have been affected by digital evolution. Today, we're going to continue along that path with Danny Sullivan, who is the president of the Down East Broadband Utility, and prior to that was the technology director for Woodland Pulp and Paper. Otelco had the opportunity several years ago to do some major connectivity projects for the Woodland Pulp Company. Danny was at the helm when that happened. And so I'd like to talk a little bit about that with you and a little bit about what you're doing with utility today and um, how you got where you are. Welcome. Thank you. Tell me about the evolution in the wood, the pulp and paper industry. And when you began there, what technology looked like and why you needed us to connect you the way we did. Okay. In the beginning, when I was there, it was in the late 90s, um, the systems there were what they called VAC systems. They were old mainframes. We had big computers in the server room, and there was terminals throughout the mill. And that's how people communicated, and that's how they basically managed the mill's business. As technology was improving, they moved on to what was called the um, client-server model, where you had actual computers at people's desks, workstations where they created content, then brought it up to the server systems. And over the course of the years, the mill, we were fortunately, made investments in technology all the time I was there. Not as much as I wanted, of course, but they at least did make the investments. And that kept the mill nimble. It kept it advancing with when, as we all know in Maine, the paper industry is fraught with closures and mills going down. And the mill that I was at, they invested in technology and they just kept improving it as it kept changing. And as it changed, what, what happened was that it basically, our efficiencies had to increase in order to stay competitive. And it was the technology pieces that helped that happen. So was this like automation technology as well as communication across the mill and at other locations? Correct. There was, um, as you could then, we now can say, for an example, you scan your paper rolls rather than handwriting down the numbers. As you're producing, you know, hundreds and hundreds of rolls a day or bales of pulp, tracking your product became increasingly important because cons- the customer wanted to know where their product was. If there happened to be a quality issue, they wanted to be able to go trace it back. Technology allowed the mill to stay nimble and to do that. Every single piece of product that we produce is scanned and tracked. So as the technology kept improving, from my department's perspective, one of the biggest downsides of maintaining a 24-7 operation that runs all, the, all year long, there are no breaks, when we're down, we're losing money, is in the 90s and early 2000s when something broke. We're in rural Maine. You had to get in your truck and drive to the mill and fix it. Well, I lived 20 minutes away, and my programmers and other people lived even further. So when this situation happened, we would drive to the mill to fix the situation. One amusing story, at least to me, was I had to get a programmer there very quickly. She met me at the mill gate. It was like 2 in the morning with her two young children. I took care of the two young kids <laughs> while she went into the mill and fixed the problem. Well, as technology improved and improved, all of a sudden remote access became something that helped shorten the time to fix the problem. The you know, telco piece, when we worked with you guys to bring in the fiber connection, made that even better. 
But the point was that we now, and the technicians that worked for me, could support the mill from wherever they were. That improved the efficiency there. It kept the, the mill running on a faster, a more consistent basis. Right. So not to throw you a curve, because I don't know if you have these numbers like in the top of your head, but from a productivity, I don't even know how you measure in the pulp industry, but your daily output of product 30 years ago versus your daily output of product today, is, is that a number that you can... I don't think I could give you a number. That's dependent on a lot of factors because actual physical equipment changes, uh, the way you produce your product changes. There's the technology piece, I would say, helps the mill be more efficient, more environmentally compliant because, as you know, there's rules everywhere. And because of technology, we're able to, to track and watch every process that goes on in the mill. So as far as giving you a number as to how much faster it made it, I don't think I could actually do that. Okay. Well, then I'm sorry I threw you that curve. <laughs> before we talk about Bellyville and Callis, before we started the cast this morning, we, we were talking about our comings up and we share the uniqueness that we're from New Jersey and we're still here and nobody's like shot us yet or anything because, <laughs> you know, this is Maine. But the story that you told about what brought you here and ultimately how you ended up in the technology industry was really intriguing to me. And it really speaks to this, to digital evolution and the fact that it truly was digital evolution that brought you to your career, seeing as you started college as a history teacher and then came to Maine to be a restaurateur. Can you start with the aha moment of (laughs) (laughs) how you got where you are? I came to Maine, as you said, and I worked, uh, you know, for a, a local restaurant in Callis and ended up purchasing my own and ran that for about eight years. And I then was raising children and decided I needed more time to take care of the children. I worked for uh, UPS after that. Then the computers started coming into age and I was wondering what these things are. I decided to purchase one and check it out. My first thought was take it all apart, Danny, see what makes it tick. From there, and that was back in the days of DOS when there wasn't the, the graphical interface. And I, I started, this is fascinating to me. So I started learning it and I learned it and learned it. I got better at it. And then next thing you know, I built a computer and I found somebody who wanted to buy it. He went and told a friend, another friend, and a school system got a hold of me and said, can you build 60 computers for us? And my business was born. And from there, I just kept educating myself. And I worked for myself for a while. And then Georgia Pacific, the mill, when I first started, it was Georgia Pacific. It's Woodland Pulp now. They got a hold of me to work for them, do some contract work. And then the mill manager asked me if I would stay on full time. So I continued to educate myself, learning, because this stuff, as you know very well, Tracy, it changes almost every minute. You got to stay current with it. And the mill was a perfect environment for that to happen for me. I was able to learn and to improve and to improve, help improve the mill systems. So my evolution from a want to be a history teacher to now being an IT director, going through a lot of different pieces from A to B, I think, you know, technology was a draw. It was something that pulled me in, and it still does. I mean, even though I'm retired from there, I, I still have an outside consulting business that I take care of numerous companies that for all their, their, you know, their technology needs. So, and my wife and I see, we own a mobile wood oven business that we take around to two different states for six months of the year. We use technology there 
Um, we were just speaking about it yesterday. We have a little square system that talks to the cell towers that tracks our product. Where I'm able to do incredible detailed analysis of our wood oven pizza business because of the technology that now is there. Right. Well, full disclosure here, Danny and I are not only acquainted in business, but we're both pretty active members of the Maine Broadband Coalition, which is an organization in Maine that basically promotes broadband around the state and lobbies for broadband initiatives, etc. And Danny is probably one of the most outspoken proponents of broadband. There are a lot of times where I send him an email separately and say, thanks for saying what I just couldn't find the nice way to say. And when I found out we were both from New Jersey, I thought, well, we're just big mouths from New Jersey saying our piece. But now that I've learned this backstory about you coming up here and I have a much better understanding of your passion for broadband because it really, you did, you personify the evolution in your own personal life and career. So I guess while I was sad to hear that you retired from the mill because we had more communication when that was going on, it's all together fitting that you should be the president of the new broadband utility. And can you tell us about that? Because that is so many communities are trying to find ways to either help their local providers deliver broadband when it's not cost effective to do it. And this is one example of one time in Maine where it's working. Uh, certainly, that that is probably one of the most exciting projects that I've ever been on is this one. As you well know, for the last 10, 12 years, I have been a huge proponent of building fiber-to-the-home-only networks in this state. I've been for the legislature, three governors, I mean, trying to promote, build these networks that will last for 100 years. Fell in a lot of deaf ears. You know, this is hard to deal with politicians, as we all know. But back in 2016, then Economic Development Director Julie Jordan came to me looking for ideas on how to do better economic development with Callis and Baileyville. They wanted to bring jobs and industry and try to keep, keep the communities viable. And I happened to mention this project that I've been on forever, trying to get decent broadband around here. And she took a hold of it, and she was very excited with it, and... She did a lot of work to get the ball rolling. She, as the economic developer, she contacted, you know, the communities. And anyway, long story short, she got the ball really moving. Didn't it require legislation in Augusta to allow it as well? I think that's an important yes. thing to yeah, know. Yeah, to have a, a, to have a municipal broadband utility in the state had to, be, had to come out of the legislature. Probably one of the, the biggest changes was an 880 rule for the Public Utilities Commission that one of the, the largest impediments to building a fiber to the home network is what they call make ready costs, where you have to go to every single telephone pole, as you well know, and you have to talk to every provider who has a wire on that pole. And then you have to pay the provider to move their wire so you can put your wire on it. It increases the cost, it increases the time. Well, we worked with the Public Utilities Commission, myself and others and yourself. And in fact, you guys had done it even before that. The pole attachment rules, they changed them where they said now that a municipal utility could attach their wire to the bottom of the pole or the side of the pole or the back of the pole. That reduced the make-ready cost in our project, the DBU project, it reduced the cost considerably. So anyway, we decided to move forward with this. Julie decided that she no longer wanted to work with this project. She was going on to other things. So the DBU was formed. The communities, Callis and Baileyville, both voted to back this project. 
So the DBU board was created. They had three citizens from Callis and three from Baileyville. I'm not from either of the towns. And they asked me to be the board member at large. So I said, sure, because this was an exciting project to me. Even though I wasn't going to benefit from it, personally, I, the fact that a fiber-to-the-home system was going to be built was something I've been looking for for years. So anyway, I went in, and the very first meeting, they said, okay, we got to elect a president. The guy next to me said, I vote for Danny. And everybody <laughs> else says, I'll, we'll take him too. And I said, wait a minute. <laughs> so anyway, that job got thrown on me quickly, but I'm very happy to do it. Got a great board, very, very attentive. The citizens of both these towns have been phenomenal. They are actually an example of what's going on across this entire nation. There's so much frustration out there with the situation of broadband in Maine and across this country. And these two communities said, we're tired of overpaying for broadband that doesn't work for us, and we want something different. So we just decided to do this. We worked with Pioneer Broadband who is the, the network provider, the network builder. They've been phenomenal as well. They've helped us understand a lot of this that we didn't understand in the past. And one of the, I think one of the more telling things of this particular network is we decided to go with what's called a home run network, which you certainly understand, is that every home and every business in these two communities has a single fiber going to their presence, to their homes Location. or business. Right. That positions them in, in a future-proof technology that they, we are going to be able to handle whatever comes down the pipe for probably the next hundred years. Because once the structure's in place, as you know, the fiber's there, just change the lasers on the end yep. as the technology gets better. So a gig today might be a hundred gig tomorrow because they fixed the lasers or changed them, made them more efficient. In Callis and Baileyville, the infrastructure's there. So to be able to stay current it's a no-brainer. Right. Okay. So this is the part of our conversation that I fondly refer to as the crystal ball moment. <laughs> you have, over the last 30 or so years, evolved with technology, personally, professionally. Where do you see it going in another 20 years? What does the world look like aside from updated lasers and technology on the fiber networks that are built? Because obviously we'll need that because nobody's going to ever have enough bandwidth. We know that. Right. <laughs> I think one of the things I've noticed with this project that ties into your question is that since we did this in Callis and Bailiville, and the network's about 80% complete right now, I have been contacted by towns all over the state that are saying, how do we connect to you? Mm -hmm. And using your crystal ball analogy, the desire is there. I mean, there is, a, it's, it's just palpable how many people want this technology. And as I see, as we connect other towns to the network, which is what the plan is, to, we can help them work towards getting the funds they can connect to us. I see more and more people getting technologically involved. With that is education. You're, as you're younger, Generations come up, you can already tell anybody who's got grandkids or kids, they're already more savvy than we ever were as kids. The desire for this broadband situation to improve is not going away. More and more information is being added to it. I see once Maine and the rest of the country finally fibers up everybody, I see improvements in our farming techniques. I see improvements in uh, our infrastructure see environmental improvements, and I see economic improvements. I see people, more and more people are able to work from wherever they are. They don't have to be in an office building anymore. 
I have two daughters that work from any place on the planet, mm-hmm. right? That's a story. And, and in Maine, we need young people in this state and a good, a better broadband situation, a consistent broadband situation will help bring them here or keep them here. Okay. And I guess before we wrap up, because you were so involved in the Downey's Broadband Utility, what advice would you give a community that maybe is not adjacent to where you can connect to them, but they're just want to start from square one. You did it. How not to reinvent the wheel. Um, I would say something I've learned after doing this for so many years is that if you want to succeed, you have got to have an advocate, somebody in your community. They got this, the dog with the bone that is willing to work their way through this process. And it's not easy. There's, you'll hit a lot of impediments, but for a community to do this, there are sources out there. I had a meeting with a, a director of the USDA here a couple of weeks ago in New Hampshire, and he was telling me, it's, you know, the USDA is a, is a monolith. It's an, a crazy organization to have to work through, but there is hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars out there that is available for communities that are willing to do the work. And for somebody else to be able to connect, say, up to us or to do their own system, the system's in place because we've done it. Because Callis and Baileyville are there, it's now a working example that you can bring to the Connect Me Authority. You can bring to the USDA. You can say, listen, this isn't pie-in-the-sky stuff. This isn't something that the, the ISPs have been telling us for years is too expensive because these two little communities pulled it off. This, our project was $3.1 million. That's not a lot of money when you think of what we're doing there. So for other communities, I say you've got to have an advocate. There's some working with a guy in Alexander right now who is that advocate, and he's great. <laughs> we think we're, we're going to bring them on next. But you've got to have somebody who's willing to dig into this stuff, get a local politician behind you, and use the DBU as an example of something that works. And I think you can pull it off. And as more towns connect, it'll get, it's infectious. Well, and I think there's an economy of scale too that eventually will happen as more towns connect. Right. But God knows it is a challenge right now for that to happen. I would like to add one last point. If I could pick one thing that over all this time that has kind of been in the back of my head is when I listen to, you're talking to grant organizations or someone else, when they tell you that they're, they're technology neutral, Drives me nuts, <laughs> as you well know. It's like you can't be technology neutral here. We know how to solve this problem. We've done it in Callis, Baileyville, Callis and Baileyville. They did it back in the 40s with electricity. You just need to put the infrastructure in place and let the American spirit go. Once you connect them, there's no end to this. Well, and, you know, that's going to be a lesson learned over time, I think, too. But in any case, I just want to thank you for being here because this was an awesome education for me. I thought I knew you and learned I didn't know much about you at all. And I wish you the best up in Callis and Baileyville. I hope that the network is a huge success and that you do manage to spread and share the wealth with surrounding communities as they come forward because it's needed, particularly in northern Maine. Well, I would like to personally thank you and your group for keeping this out there. This is so important to get this out in the mainstream where people can understand or begin to understand what this all is, because that'll be the true path to success, education. Thank you. Okay, folks, um, we'll be back soon with some other very interesting person to talk to, but it's a secret for now. 
Thanks as always for joining us. I'm Tracy Shekel from Motelco, and you've been listening to Evolution Digital. We'll talk soon. Mm-hmm.